0: letter fifteen of clarissa harlow or the history of a young lady volume seven this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by nicole lee clarissa harlow or the history of a young lady volume seven by samuel richardson letter fifteen mr belford to robert lovelace esq sunday night july sixteenth what a cursed piece of work hast thou made of it with the most excellent of women Thou mayest be in earnest or in jest as thou wilt, but the poor lady will not be long either thy sport or the sport of fortune. I will give thee an account of a scene that wants but her affecting pen to represent it justly, and it would wring all the black blood out of thy callous heart. Thou only, who art the author of her calamities, shouldst have attended her in her prison. I am unequal to such a task, nor know I any other man but Wood. This last act, however unintended by thee, yet a consequence of thy general orders, and too likely to be thought agreeable to thee by those who know thy other villainies by her, has finished thy barbarous work, and I advise thee to trumpet forth everywhere how much in earnest thou art, to marry her, whether true or not. Thou mayest safely do it. She will not live to put thee to the trial, and it will a little palliate for thy enormous usage of her, and be a mean to make mankind, who know not what I know of the matter, heard a little longer with thee and forbear to hunt thee to thy fellow-savages in the Libyan wilds and deserts. Your messenger found me at Edraire, expecting to dinner with me several friends, whom I had invited three days before. I sent apologies to them, as in a case of life and death, and speeded to town to the woman's. For how knew I but shocking attempts might be made upon her by the cursed wretches, perhaps by your connivance, in order to mortify her into your mishres? Little knows the public what villainies are committed by vile wretches, in these abominable houses upon innocent creatures drawn into their snares. Finding the lady not there, I posted away to the officers, although Sally told me that she had but just come from thence, and that she had refused to see her, or, as she sent down word, anybody else, being resolved to have the remainder of that Sunday to herself, as it might, perhaps, be the last she should ever see. I had the same thing told me when I got thither. I sent up to let her know that I came with a commission to set her at liberty. I was afraid of sending up the name of a man known to be a friend, she absolutely refused to see any man, however, for that day, or to answer further to anything said from me. Having therefore informed myself of all that the officer and his wife and servant could acquaint me with, as well in relation to the horrid arrest as to her behaviour, and the women's to her, and her ill state of health, I went back to Sinclair's, as I will still call her, and heard the three women's story, from all which I am enabled to give you the following shocking particulars, which may serve till I can see the unhappy lady herself to-morrow, if then I gain admittance to her. You will find that I have been very minute in my inquiries. Your villain, it was, that set the poor lady, and had the impudence to appear and abet the sheriff's officers in the cursed transaction, he thought, no doubt, that he was doing the most acceptable service to his blessed master. They had got a chair, the head ready up, as soon as service was over, and as she came out of the church, at the door fronting Bedford Street, the officers, stepping up to her, whispered that they had an action against her. She was terrified, trembled, and turned pale. Action, said she, what is that? I have committed no bad action lord bless me men what mean you that you are a prisoner madam prisoner sirs what how why what have i done you must go with us be pleased madam to step into this chair with you with men must go with men i am not used to go with strange men indeed you must excuse me we can't excuse you we are sheriff's officers we have a writ against you you must go with us and you shall know to suit suit said the charming innocent i don't know what you mean pray men don't lay hands upon me they offering to put her into the chair i am not used to be thus treated i have done nothing to deserve it she then spied thy villain o oh, thou wretch said she where is thy vile master am i again to be his prisoner help good people a crowd had begun to gather my master's in the country madam many miles off if you please to go with these men they will treat you civilly the people were most of them struck with compassion a fine young creature a thousand pities cried some while some few threw out vile and shocking reflections but a gentleman interposed and demanded to see the fellow's authority. They showed it. Is your name Clarissa Harlow, madam? said he. Yes, yes, indeed, ready to sink. My name was Clarissa Harlow, but it is now wretchedness. Lord, be merciful to me, what is to come next? You must go with these men, madam, said the gentleman. They have authority for what they do. He pitied her and retired. Indeed you must, said one chairman. Indeed you must, said the other. "'Can nobody, joined in another gentleman, be applied to, who will see that so fine a creature is not ill-used?' Thy villain answered, orders were given particularly for that. "'She had rich relations. She need but ask and have. "'She would only be carried to the officer's house till matters could be made up. "'The people she had lodged with loved her, but she had left her lodgings privately. "'Oh! had she those tricks already?' cried one or two. "'She heard not this, but said, "'Well, if I must go, I must. I cannot resist.' "'but I will not be carried to the woman's. "'I will rather die at your feet than be carried to the woman's.' "'You won't be carried there, madam,' cried thy fellow. "'Only to my house, madam,' said one of the officers. "'Where is that?' "'In High Holborn, madam.' "'I know not where High Holborn is, but anywhere except to the woman's. "'But am I to go with men only?' "'Looking about her, and seeing the three passages, to wit, "'that leading to Henrietta Street, that to King Street, "'and the foreright one to Bedford Street, crowded, she started. "'Anywhere, anywhere,' said she, "'but to the woman's.' and stepping into the chair threw herself on the seat, in the utmost distress and confusion. "'Carry me—carry me out of sight! Cover me! Cover me up! for ever. were her words. My villain drew the curtain, she had not power, and they went away with her through a vast crowd of people. Here I must rest. I can write no more at present. Only loveless remember. All this was to a Clarissa. The unhappy lady fainted away when she was taken out of the chair at the officer's house several people followed the chair to the very house which is in a wretched court sally was there and satisfied some of the inquirers that the young gentlewoman would be exceedingly well used and they soon dispersed dorcas was also there but came not in her sight sally as a favour offered to carry her to her former lodgings but she declared they should carry her thither a corpse if they did very gentle usage the women boast of so would a vulture could it speak with the entrails of its prey upon its rapacious talons of this you'll judge from what i have to recite she asked what was meant by this usage of her people told me said she that i must go with the men that they had authority to take me so i submitted but now what is to be the end of this disgraceful violence the end said the vile sally martin is for honest people to come at their own bless me have i taken away anything that belongs to those who have obtained the power over me i have left very valuable things behind me but I have taken away that is not my own and who do you think miss harlowe for i understand said the cursed creature you are not married "'Who do you think is to pay for your board and your lodgings? "'Such handsome lodgings, for so long a time as you were at Mrs. Sinclair's. "'Lord, have mercy upon me. "'Miss Martin, I think you are Miss Martin. "'And is this the cause of such a disgraceful insult upon me in the open streets? "'And cause enough, Miss Harlowe, fond of gratifying her jealous revenge by calling her Miss, hundred and fifty guineas or pounds is no small sum to lose, "'and by a young creature who would have built her lodgings. "'You amaze me, Miss Martin. "'What language do you talk in?' Bilkway lodgings? What is that? She stood astonished and silent for a few moments, but recovering herself and turning from her to the window, she wrung her hands—the cursed Sally showed me how—and lifting them up. Now, lovelace, now indeed do I think I ought to forgive thee. But who shall forgive Clarissa Harlowe? O my sister! O my brother! Tender mercies for your cruelties to this. After a pause, her handkerchief drying up of falling tears, she turned to Sally. Now have I nothing to do but acquiesce. Only let me say— that if this aunt of yours this mrs sinclair or this man this mr lovelace come near me or if i am carried to the horrid house for that i suppose is the design of this new outrage god be merciful to the poor clarissa harlowe look to the consequence look i charge you to the consequence the vile wretch told her it was not designed to carry her anywhere against her will but if it were they should take care not to be frighted again by a penknife. she cast up her eyes to heaven and was silent and went to the furthest corner of the room and sitting down threw her handkerchief over her face sally asked her several questions but not answering her she told her she would wait upon her by and by when she had found her speech she ordered the people to press her to eat and drink she must be fasting nothing but her prayers and tears poor thing were the merciless devil's words as she owned to me Dost think i did not curse her she went away and after her own dinner returned the unhappy lady by this devil's account of her then seemed either mortified into meekness would to have made a resolution not to be provoked by the insults of this cursed creature sally inquired in her presence whether she had eat or drank anything and being told by the woman that she could not prevail upon her to taste a morsel or drink a drop she said this is wrong miss harlowe very wrong your religion i think should teach you that starving yourself is self-murder she answered not the wretch owned she was resolved to make her speak she asked if mabel should attend her till it was seen what her friends would do for her in discharge of the debt mabel said she had not yet earned the clothes you were so good as to give her "'Am I not worthy an answer, Miss Harlowe? "'I would answer you,' said the sweet sufferer, without any emotion, "'if I knew how. "'I have ordered pen, ink, and paper to be brought to you, Miss Harlowe. "'There they are. I know you love writing. "'You may write to whom you please. "'Your friend Miss Howe will expect to hear from you.' "'I have no friends,' said she. "'I deserve none.' "'Roland, for that's the officer's name, told her "'she had friends in to pay the debt if she would write. "'She would trouble nobody. "'She had no friends,' was all they could get from her, "'while Sally stayed.' but she had spoken with a patience of spirit, as if she enjoyed her griefs. The insolent creature went away, ordering them in the lady's hearing to be very civil to her, and to let her want for nothing. Now had she she owned the triumph of her heart over this haughty beauty, who kept them all at such a distance in their own house. What thinkest thou loveless of this? This wretched triumph was over a Clarissa. About six in the evening Rowland's wife pressed her to drink tea. She said she had rather have a glass of water, for her tongue was ready to cleave to the roof of her mouth the woman brought her a glass and some bread and butter she tried to taste the latter but could not swallow it but eagerly drank the water lifting up her eyes in thankfulness for that the divine clarissa lovelace reduced to rejoice for a cup of cold water by whom reduced about nine o'clock she asked if anybody were to be her bedfellow their maid if she pleased or as she was so weak and ill the girls should sit up with her if she chose she should she chose to be alone both night and day she said but might she not be trusted with the key of the room where she was to lie down for she should not put off her clothes. That, they told her, could not be. She was afraid not, she said, but, indeed, she would not get away if she could. They told me that they had but one bed, besides that they lay in themselves, which they would fain have had her accept of, and besides that their maid lay in, in a garret, which they called a hole of a garret, and that that one bed was the prisoner's bed, which they made several apologies to me about. I suppose it is shocking enough. That the lady would not lie in theirs. Was she not a prisoner, she said? Let her have the prisoner's room yet they own that she started when she was conducted thither, but recovering herself. "'Very well,' said she, "'why should not all be of a peace? Why should not my wretchedness be complete?' She found fault that all the fastenings were on the outside and none within, and said she could not trust herself in a room where others could come in at their pleasure and she not go out. She had not been used to it. Dear, dear soul! My tears flow as I write. Indeed, loveless, she had not been used to such treatment.' They assured her that it was as much their duty to protect her from other persons' insults as from escaping herself. Then they were people of more honour, she said, than she had been of late used to. She asked if they knew Mr. Lovelace. No, was their answer. Have you heard of him? No. Well, then, you may be good sort of folks in your way. Pause here for a moment, Lovelace, and reflect. I must. Again they asked her if they should send any word to her lodgings. These are my lodgings now, are they not? was all her answer. She sat up in a chair all night the back against the door, having, it seems, thrust a piece of a poker through the staples where a bolt had been on the inside. Next morning Sally and Polly both went to visit her. She had begged of Sally the day before, that she might not see Mrs. Sinclair, nor Dorcas, nor the broken-toothed servant called William. Polly would have ingratiated herself with her, and pretended to be concerned for her misfortunes. But she took no more notice of her than of the other. They asked if she had any commands. If she had, she only need to mention what they were, and she should be obeyed none at all she said how did she like the people of the house were they civil to her pretty well considering she had no money to give them would she accept of any money they could put it to her account she would contract no debts had she any money about her she meekly put her hand in her pocket and pulled out half a guinea and a little silver yes i have a little but here should be fees paid i believe should there not i have heard of entrance money to compound for not being stripped but these people are very civil people i fancy for they have not offered to take away my clothes they have orders to be civil to you. It is very kind. But we too will bail you, miss, if you will go back with us to Mrs. Sinclair's. Not for the world. Hers are very handsome apartments, a fitter for those who own them. These are very sad ones. The fitter for me. You may be happy yet, miss, if you will. I hope I shall. If you refuse to eat or drink, we will give bail and take you with us. Then I will try to eat and drink, anything but go with you. Will you not send to your new lodgings? The people will be frighted. So they will if I send. So they will if they know where I am. But have you no things to send for from thence? There is what will pay for their lodgings and trouble. I shall not lessen their security. But perhaps letters or messages may be left for you there. I have very few friends, and to those I have, I will spare the mortification of knowing what has befallen me. We are surprised at your indifference, Miss Harlowe. Will you not write to any of your friends? No. Why, you don't think of towering here always. I shall not live always. Do you think you are to stay here as long as you live? That's as it shall please God, and those who have brought me hither. Should you like to be at liberty? I am miserable. What is liberty to the miserable, but to be more miserable? How miserable, miss! You may make yourself as happy as you please. I hope you are both happy. We are. May you be more and more happy. But we wish you to be so too. I shall never be of your opinion, I believe, as to what happiness is. What do you take our opinion of happiness to be? To live at Mrs. Sinclair's? Perhaps, said Sally, we were once as squeamish and narrow-minded as you how came it over with you because we saw the ridiculousness of prudery do you come hither to persuade me to hate prudery as you call it as much as you do we came to offer our service to you it is out of your power to serve me perhaps not it is not in my inclination to trouble you you may be worse offered perhaps i may you are mighty short miss as i wish your visit to be ladies they own to me that they cracked their fans and laughed adieu perverse beauty your servant ladies adieu haughty airs you see me humbled as you deserve miss harlowe pride will have a fall better fall with what you call pride than stand with meanness who does i had once a better opinion of you miss horton indeed you should not insult the miserable neither should the miserable said sally insult people for their civility i should be sorry if i did mrs Sinclair shall attend you by and by to know if you have any commands for her i have no wish for any liberty but that of refusing to see her and one more person "'What we came for was to know if you had any proposals to make for your enlargement.' "'Then it seems the officer put in—' "'You have very good friends, madam, I understand. "'Is it not better that you make it up? Charges will run high. "'A hundred and fifty guineas are easier paid than two hundred. "'Let these ladies bail you and go along with them, "'or write to your friends to make it up.' "'Sally said, "'There's a gentleman who saw you taken and was so much moved for you, Miss Harlow, "'that he would gladly advance the money for you and leave you to pay it when you can. "'See, Loveless, what cursed devil sees are!' This is the way we know that many an innocent heart is thrown upon keeping, and then upon the town, but for these wretches thus to go to work with such an angel as this, how glad would have been the devilish Sally to have had the least handle to report to thee a listening ear or patient spirit upon this hint! Sir, said she with high indignation to the officer, did not you say last night that it was as much your business to protect me from the insults of others as from escaping? Cannot I be permitted to see whom I please, and to refuse admittance to those I like not, your creditors madam will expect to see you not if i declare i will not treat with them then madam you will be sent to prison prison friend what dost thou call thy house not a prison madam why these iron-barred windows then why these double locks and bolts all on the outside none on the inn and down she dropped into her chair and they could not get another word from her she threw her handkerchief over her face as one before which was soon wet with tears and grievously they owned she sobbed gentle treatment loveless perhaps thou as well as these wretches will think it so sally then ordered a dinner and said they would soon be back again and see that she eat and drank as a good christian should comporting herself to her condition and making the best of it what has not this charming creature suffered what has she not gone through in these last three months that i know of who would think such a delicately framed person could have sustained what she has sustained we sometimes talk of bravery of courage of fortitude here they are in perfection such bravoes as thou and i should never have been able to support ourselves under half the persecutions the disappointments and contumelies that she has met with but like cowards should have slid out of the world basely by some back door that is to say by a sword by a pistol by a halter or knife but here is a fine principled woman who by dint of this noble consideration as i imagine what else can support her that she has not deserved the evils she contends with and that this world is designed but as a transitory state of the probation and that she is travelling to another and better puts up with all the hardships of the journey and is not to be diverted from her course by the attacks of thieves and robbers or any other terrors and difficulties being assured of an ample reward at the end of it if thou thinkest this reflection uncharacteristic from a companion and friend of thine imaginest thou that i profited nothing by my long attendance on my uncle in his dying state and from the pious reflections of the good clergyman who day by day at the poor man's own request visited and prayed by him and could i have another such instance as this to bring all these reflections home to me then who can write of good persons and of good subjects and be capable of admiring them and not be made serious for the time and hence may we gather what a benefit to the morals of men the keeping of good company must be while those who keep only bad must necessarily more and more harden and be hardened this twelve of the clock sunday night i can think of nothing but this excellent creature her distresses fill my head and my heart i was drowsy for a quarter of an hour but the fit is gone off and I will continue the melancholy subject from the information of these wretches. Enough, I dare say, will arise in the visit I shall make, if admitted to-morrow, to send by thy servant, as to the way I am likely to find her in.' After the woman had left her, she complained of her head and her heart, and seemed terrified with apprehensions of being carried once more to Sinclair's. Refusing anything for breakfast, Mrs. Rowland came up to her and told her, as these wretches own they had ordered her, for fear she should starve herself, that she must and should have tea and bread and butter, and that as she had friends who could support her if she wrote to them it was a wrong thing both for herself and them to starve herself thus if it be for your own sake said she that is another thing let coffee or tea or chocolate or what you will be got and put down a chicken to my account every day if you please and eat it yourselves i will taste it if i can i would do nothing to hinder you i have friends who will pay you liberally when they know i am gone they wondered they told her at her strange composure and such distresses they were nothing she said to what she had suffered already from the vilest of all men the disgrace of seizing her in the street, multitudes of people about her, shocking imputations wounding her ears, had indeed been very affecting to her, but that was over. everything soon would, and she should be still more composed were it not for the apprehensions of seeing one man and one woman and being tricked or forced back to the vilest house in the world, then were it not better to give way to the two gentlewomen's offer to bail her, they could tell her it was a very kind proffer, and what was not to be met every day, she believed so. The ladies might possibly dispense with her going back to the house to which she had such an antipathy, than the compassionate gentleman who was inclined to make it up with her creditors on her own bond. It was very strange to them she hearkened not to so generous a proposal. Did the two ladies tell you who the gentleman was, or did they say any more on the subject? Yes, they did, and hinted to me, said the woman, nothing to do but to receive a visit from the gentleman, and the money, they believed, would be laid down on your own bond or note. She was startled. I charge you, said she, as you will answer it one day to my friends, I charge you don't. If you do, you know not what may be the consequence. They apprehended no bad consequence, they said, in doing their duty, and if she knew not her own good, her friends would thank them for taking any innocent steps to serve her, though against her will. Don't push me upon extremities, man. Don't make me desperate, woman. I have no small difficulty, notwithstanding the seeming composure you just now took notice of, to bear as I ought to bear the evils I suffer. But if you bring a man or men to me, be the pretence what it will she stopped there and looked so earnestly and so wildly they said that they did not know but she would do some harm to herself if they disobeyed her and that would be a sad thing in their house and might be their ruin they therefore promised that no man should be brought to her but by her own consent mrs rowland prevailed on her to drink a dish of tea and taste some bread and butter about eleven on saturday morning which she probably did to have an excuse not to dine with the women when they returned but she would not quit her prison-room as she called it to go into their parlour Unbarred windows in a light apartment, she said, had too cheerful an appearance for her mind. A shower falling as she spoke. What, said she, looking up, do the elements weep for me? At another time, the light of the sun was irksome to her. The sun seemed to shine in to mock her woes. Methought, added she, the sun darting in and gilding these iron bars plays upon me like the two women who came to insult my haggard looks by the word beauty, and my dejected heart by the word haughty airs. Sally came again at dinner-time, to see how she fared, as she told her, and that she did not starve herself, and as she wanted to have some talk with her, if she gave her leave, she would dine with her. I cannot eat. You must try, Miss Harlowe. And dinner being ready just then, she offered her hand and desired her to walk down. No, she would not stir out of her prison room. These sullen airs won't do, Miss Harlowe. Indeed they won't. She was silent. You'll have harder usage than any you have ever yet known. I can tell you, if you come not into some humour to make matters up. She was still silent. Come, miss, walk down to dinner. Let me entreat you, do. Miss Horton is below. She was once your favourite. She waited for an answer, but received none. We came to make some proposals to you for your good, though you affronted us so lately, and we would not let Mrs. St. come in person, because we thought to oblige you. This is indeed obliging. Come, give me your hand. Miss Harlowe. you are obliged to me, I can tell you that, and let us go down to Miss Horton. Excuse me, I will not stir out of this room. Would you have me and Miss Horton dine in this filthy bedroom?' It is not a bedroom to me. I have not been in bed, nor will, while I am here. And yet you care not, as I see, to leave the house. And so you won't go down, Miss Harlow? I won't, except I am forced to it. Well, well, let it alone. I shan't ask Miss Horton to dine in this room, I assure you. I will send up a plate. And away the little saucy toad fluttered down. When they had dined, up they came together. Well, miss, you would not eat anything, it seems. Very pretty, sullen airs, these. No wonder the honest gentleman had such a hand with you. She only held up her hands and eyes, the tears trickling down her cheeks. Insolent devils! How much more cruel and insulting are bad women even than bad men! Methinks, miss, said Sally, you are a little soily to what we have seen you. Pity such a nice lady should not have changes of apparel. Why won't you send to your lodgings for linen, at least? I am not nice, now. Miss looks well and clean in anything, said Polly. But, dear madam, why won't you send to your lodgings? Were it but in kindness to the people, they must have a concern about you. "'And your Miss Howe will wonder what's become of you, for no doubt you correspond.' She turned from them, and to herself said, "'Too much, too much.' She tossed her handkerchief wet before with her tears from her, and held her apron to her eyes. "'Don't weep, miss,' said the vile Polly. "'Yet do,' cried the vile Sally. "'it will be a relief. "'Nothing, as Mr. Lovelace once told me, dries sooner than tears, for once I too wept mightily. "'I could not bear the recital of this with patience. "'Yet I cursed them not so much as I should have done.' had i not had a mind to get from them all the particulars of their gentle treatment and this for two reasons the one that i might stab thee to the heart with a repetition and the other that i might know upon what terms i am likely to see the unhappy lady to-morrow well but miss harlowe cried sally do you think these forlorn airs pretty you are a good christian child mrs Rowland tells me she has got you a bible book oh there it lies i make no doubt but you have doubled down the useful places as honest matt pryor says and then rising and taking it up ay so you have the book of job one opens naturally here, I see. My mamma made me a fine Bible scholar. You see, Miss Horton, I know something of the book. They proposed once more to bail her and to go home with them, a motion which she received with the same indignation as before. Sally told her that she had written in a very favourable manner in her behalf to you, and that she every hour expected an answer, and made no doubt that you would come up with a messenger, and generously pay the whole debt, and ask her pardon for neglecting it. This disturbed her so much, that they feared she would have fallen into fits, she could not bear your name she said she hoped she should never see you more and were you to intrude yourself dreadful consequences might follow surely they said she would be glad to be released from her confinement indeed she should now they had begun to alarm her with his name who was the author of all her woes and who she now saw plainly gave way to this new outrage in order to bring her to his own infamous terms why then they asked would she not write to her friends to pay mrs sinclair's demand because she hoped she should not trouble anybody and because she knew that the payment of the money if she should be able to pay it was not what was aimed at sally owned that she told her that truly she had thought herself as well descended and as well educated as herself though not entitled to such considerable fortunes and had the impudence to insist upon it to me to be truth she had the insolence to add to the lady that she had as much reason as she to expect mr lovelace would marry her he having contracted to do so before he knew miss clarissa harlowe and that she had it under his hand and seal too or else he had not obtained his end therefore it was not likely she should be so officious as to do his work against herself if she thought mr lovelace had designs upon her like what she presumed him to hint at that for her part her only view was to procure liberty to a young gentlewoman who made those things grievous to her which would not be made such a rout about by anybody else and to procure the payment of a just debt to her friend mrs sinclair she besought them to leave her she wanted not these instances she said to convince her of the company she was in and told them that to get rid of such visitors and of the still worse she was apprehensive of, she would write to one friend to raise the money for her, though it would be death for her to do so, because that friend could not do it without her mother, in whose eye it would give a selfish appearance to a friendship that was above all sordid alloys. They advised her to write out of hand. But how much must I write for? What is the sum? Should I not have had a bill delivered me? God knows I took not your lodgings, but he that could treat me as he has done could do this. Don't speak against Mr. Lovelace, Miss Harlowe. He is a man I greatly esteem, cursed Toad, and baiting that he will take his advantage where he can of us silly credulous women he is a man of honour she lifted up her hands and eyes instead of speaking and well she might for any word she could have used could not have expressed the anguish she must feel on being comprehended in the us she must write for one hundred and fifty guineas at least two hundred if she was short of more money might well be written for mrs Sinclair, she said had all her clothes let them be sold fairly sold and the money go as far as it would go she had also a few other valuables but no money none at all the poor half-guinea and the little silver they had seen she would give bond to pay all that her apparel and the other matters she had would fall short of she had great effects belonging to her of right her bond would and must be paid were it four thousand pounds but her clothes she should never want she believed if not too much undervalued those and her few valuables would answer everything she wished for no surplus but to discharge the last expenses and forty shillings would do as well for those as forty pounds let my ruin said she lifting up her eyes be large let it be complete in this life, for composition, let it be complete, and there she stopped. The wretches could not help wishing to me for the opportunity of making such a purchase for their own wear, how I cursed them, and in my heart thee, but too probable thought I that this vile Sally Martin may hope, though thou art incapable of it, that her lovelace, as she has the assurance behind thy back to call thee, may present her with some of the poor lady's spoils. Will not Mrs. Sinclair, proceeded she, think my clothes a security till they can be sold? They are very good clothes a suit or two but just put on as it were never worn they cost much more than it demanded of me my father loved to see me fine or shall go but let me have the particulars of her demand i suppose i must pay for my destroyer that was her well adapted word and his servants as well as for myself i am content to do so i am above wishing that anybody who could thus act should be so much as expostulated with as to the justice and equity of this payment if i have but enough to pay the demand i shall be satisfied and will leave the baseness of such an action as this as an aggravation of a guilt which i thought could not be aggravated i own lovelace i have malice in this particularity in order to sting thee on the heart and let me ask thee what now thou canst think of thy barbarity thy unprecedented barbarity in having reduced a person of her rank fortune talents and virtue so low the wretched women it must be owned act but in their profession a profession thou hast been the principal means of reducing these two to act in and they know what thy designs have been and how far prosecuted it is in their opinions using her gently that they have forborne to bring her to the woman so justly odious to her, and that they have not threatened her with the introducing to her strange men, nor yet brought into her company their spirit-breakers and humbling drones, fellows not allowed to carry stings, to trace and force her back to their detested house, and when there into all their measures. Till I came, they thought thou wouldst not be displeased at anything she suffered, that could help to mortify her into a state of shame and disgrace, and bring her to comply with thy views, when thou shouldst come to release her from these wretches, as from a greater evil than cohabiting with thee when thou considerest these things thou wilt make no difficulty of believing that this their own account of their behaviour to this admirable woman has been far short of their insults and the less when i tell thee that altogether their usage had such effect upon her that they left her in violent hysterics ordering an apothecary to be sent for if she should continue in them and be worse and particularly as they had done from the first that they kept out of her way any edged or pointed instrument especially a penknife, which pretending to mend a pen they said she might ask for at twelve saturday night roland sent to tell them that she was so ill that he knew not what might be the issue and wished out of his house and this made them as heartily wish to hear from you for their messenger to their great surprise was not then returned from m hall and they were sure he must have reached that place by friday night early on sunday morning both devils went to see how she did they had such an account of her lowness weakness and anguish that they forbore out of compassion they said finding their visits so disagreeable to her to see her, but the apprehension of what might be the issue was, no doubt, their principal consideration, nothing else could have softened such flinty bosoms. They sent for the apothecary Roland had had to her, and gave him, and Roland, and his wife and maid, strict orders, many times repeated, for the utmost care to be taken of her, no doubt with an old bailey forecast, and they sent up to let her know what orders they had given, but that, understanding she had taken something to compose herself, they would not disturb her. She had scrupled, it seems, to admit the apothecary's visit overnight, because he was a man, nor could she be prevailed upon to see him till they pleaded their own safety to her they went again from church lord bob these creatures go to church but she sent them down word that she must have all the remainder of the day to herself when i first came and told them of thy execrations for what they had done and joined my own to them they were astonished the mother said she had thought she had known mr lovelace better and expected thanks and not curses while i was with them came back halting and cursing most horribly their messenger by reason of the ill usage he had received from you instead of the reward he had been taught to expect for the supposed good news that he carried down a pretty fellow art thou not to abuse people for the consequences of thy own faults dorcas whose acquaintance his fellow is and who recommended him for the journey had conditioned with him it seems for a share in the expected bounty from you had she been to have had her share made good i wish thou hadst broken every bone in his skin under what shocking disadvantages and with this addition to them that i am thy friend and intimate am i to make a visit to this unhappy lady to-morrow morning in thy name too enough to be refused that i am of a sex to which for thy sake she has so justifiable an aversion nor having such a tyrant of a father and such an implacable brother has she the reason to make an exception in favour of any of it on their accounts it is three o'clock i will close here and take a little rest what i have written will be a proper preparative for what shall offer by and by thy servant is not to return without a letter he tells me and that thou expectest him back in the morning thou hast fellows enough where thou art at thy command if i find any difficulty in seeing the lady thy messenger shall post away with this let him look to broken bones and other consequences if what he carries answer not thy expectation but if i am admitted thou shalt have this and the result of my audience both together in the former case thou mayest send another servant to wait the next advices from j belford End of letter fifteen.